Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Well, uh, welcome to the Well Community Church. Welcome to midweek. Uh, welcome to midweek, kind of a new season. And so some of you are used to sitting in your own places and you got disheveled tonight and Ron had to sit in the front row, which is not his space. He's usually over there. And we've got people that uh, are here on campus for midweek. We've got the food trucks going on. We've got kids in the house for the first time in a long time. You know, when, when COVID hit and uh, we were trying to come out of COVID and resource by way of volunteers, it was just hard getting volunteers back engaged. And so we, we couldn't have kids ministry and so grateful for many of you that have stepped up to rotate through. And if you haven't uh, in midweeks, you're home, I uh, really want to encourage you to step up and rotate through so that we can provide a place for all of these families who have kids who Thursday night is the gathering they need to come to. Their kids could hear the gospel and we can provide that service for them. We also have tonight women's Bible study going down, which started as a small group and now feels like a small church. There's like several hundred women, a part of our women's life group, and they are meeting now uh, to train facilitators. So a lot going on tonight. We're very excited to be on campus with you here. If you're a guest with us, we are going to be in Joshua chapter one. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Here two weeks ago, we said we're going to be in the book of Joshua, so turn to Genesis 1. And then last week, of course, we covered Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which was a lot. Uh, And if you take those two messages and you just grab the high points by way of uh, context for where where we're heading here tonight, we covered what you call theologically theology proper. And theology proper is the Um, doctrine of God. Who is God? And we, we covered two primary issues, his attributes, that as you look at his attributes of being all knowing and sovereign and all powerful and omnipresent, they're terrifying, really, because we don't have a category for that. We don't understand that. But we also looked at his character, that his character is good and he is faithful and he is gracious. And those two things held in tension is the story in some ways of our God. We also saw that he was faithful and as early as Genesis chapter 12, he made a promise to a, to a guy named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to give you three very significant things. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. And I'm going to give you blessing. And from you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What's worth noting about that covenant that God made with Abraham is it was given in chapter 12 of Genesis. It was ratified in chapter 15. It's signified by the sign of circumcision in chapter 17 that from Abraham and his descendants would come one day he who would crush the serpent's head, he who would be the savior of the world, he who would die on the cross to take away the sins of the world, he being, of course, Jesus. And what's unique about it is it's a unilateral covenant. Most covenants in your Bible were if-then covenants, much like business deals. You sign a contract. Here are the things you agree to do. Here are the things, therefore, I agree to do. And if you don't perform, I rip the contract up. You're in violation. Well, interesting, God puts Abraham to sleep. God passes through the parts on his own as if to say it really doesn't matter what you do. I'm promising regardless of you. And so uh, this promise was given to Abraham. And then we learned, of course, about God's timing, that God is patient, 
he's also his methods, he disciplines those he loves, and what he's trying to work out in the people of God is what does it mean to live in relationship with God? And the thing that God is trying to help the people understand is because God is a faithful God. We as his followers are called to be faithful to our faithful God. Now, some lessons were learned pretty easily. Some lessons, as you read through some of those books we covered last week, required a little bit of a session behind the woodshed. At the end of the day, what God is trying to do is get his people to respond faithfully to a faithful God. And with that now, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, I'd like to read, if we could, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll make some comments about them individually. So it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them and to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Verse four, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, to all the land of the Hittites and as far as the great sea, towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Now, you can see as we read verses 1 through 5 why we wanted to spend so much time in backstory. Because now when I say things like Joshua took over after Moses and they're talking about conquering the land and the promise that was made to their fathers, we, we have a context for that. Uh, but something in verse 2 changes that is very significant, and that is this. Uh, Moses now is dead and Joshua is in charge. So there is a clear leadership transition. And if you look at verse two, now you arise, now you cross the Jordan, now you and all this people, uh, you enter the land which I am giving to them. And so Joshua is taking upon his shoulders now this mantle of leadership of leading God's people. But God's promise, and it's important to note, didn't die with Moses. It says now that uh, God had promised not only to Moses, but as he'd promised Moses, he's now going to promise to be with Joshua. And he says in verse three, every place your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Now you're gonna hear in chapter one, it's very, um, well, it's emphasized, and I think it's very important to Joshua to hear, hey, look, don't sweat it. As I was with him, I'm gonna be with you. And so um, how vast is this land that God has promised to Joshua? Well, we get a couple of geographic markers that I think are worth noting, uh, and then we'll show you a map here in a minute to sort of orient. It says, from the wilderness, which is the wilderness of Zin in the south, uh, to uh, beyond Lebanon, which is way the hang up in the north, to uh, the great river, which is the river Euphrates to the east, and then it says, uh, to the great sea towards the setting of the sun, that's the Mediterranean Sea, to the west. Now, worth noting that the land that God says Joshua is going to conquer here is a much larger land than anything that you see on the map today. In fact, if you look up here, this is the map, Cami, if you will, this is the map of the conquest. Now, you can't read a thing. I totally understand that. But there are three bodies of water that are worth noting. On the far left is the Mediterranean Sea. The uh, body of water that's sort of down towards the bottom middle of the uh, map there is the Dead Sea. 
And then the Jordan River goes north of that to the body of water that's sort of in the middle of the the, uh, image there. That's the Sea of Galilee. And then the upper Jordan goes up north out of that. So when we talk about the sea, the south, you can see, is way down in the wilderness. The north goes all the way to Lebanon. And it includes, in fact, in your Bible, it says the land of the Hittites. Well, who were the Hittites? They were in eastern Turkey. And so this, this includes Beirut, Lebanon. It includes, as it moves then back south towards the Dead Sea, Uh, Three major cities in Syria, Aleppo, Homs, and Damascus. It also includes Amman, Jordan. This is the land God promised to his people. Now, you might be asking a question. Well, wait a second. I know modern geography. That map's not right. Yes, there was a problem. Show the second one, if you will, Cammie. The yellow is what they actually took. This was the land they conquered. Same three bodies of water to the left, Mediterranean, Dead Sea on the bottom in the middle, Sea of Galilee, sort of in the upper third in the middle. The yellow is what they conquered. So one of the things we're going to uncover as we walk through this book is that though we have a faithful God, we didn't necessarily have a fully faithful people. And you're going to learn a phrase we're going to say over and over, that incomplete obedience is disobedience. And these people did some of what God said, uh, but not all. Now, the interesting thing about that is they don't pay the price for it. Their kids do. Because when you get to the book of Judges, it gets really wonky. And everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And the issue with the unconquered lands, and we're going to cover this when we get to it, uh, the issue with the unconquered lands is not the people, it's the gods that they worshipped. It's a theological issue. Because these people in these other lands worship gods like the god Chemosh and Molech, which you've probably heard nothing about other than uh, the way you worship them is you would give birth to your child and you would burn it alive on their altars. And God's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So when you go into the land, you you need to conquer the land. So this is the geographic region that we have here. Now, uh, are there modern day implications to that map? Uh, Some of you are are maybe more mindful of what's happening sort of currently. uh, And you say, well, I've heard of some conflicts regarding land in Israel. Does that have anything to do with this? Answer is no, Uh, sort of. So there, there were ancient cities that were in that land that were the unconquered portions toward the coast called the Philistine cities. So there were two that were more inland that were Ekron and Gath where uh, Goliath was from. And then there was three along the coast, uh, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and the final one you're familiar with, it's Gaza. And so you might ask the question, okay, well, that Philistines were there, and, and if you look at a, a modern, you know, sort of map of Israel, you're going to see Palestinian there. Are those, are those maybe the same people? And the answer is no, uh, they're not. Uh, so why is it then that that land became known as Palestine? I mean, how many of you have heard that land called Palestine? Well, where did that name come from? Did it come from the Philistines? No. Uh, but many in our world today will call that not Israel, in fact, you'll get in a fight over that. I was in uh, Syria in 2007 on a mission trip, and I was talking with some college students. I'm like, hey, what, what do you guys think about Israel? And he corrected me. He said, you mean occupied Palestine? I said, no, it's actually called Israel. Like, bro, I got a map. I can Google it. It's Israel. He goes, mm Occupied Palestine. Well, you know me. So the third time I asked him about Israel, he raised his voice, and I realized that they do not see things the way I see things. So to him, it was occupied Palestine. Where did that name come from? That name did not come from the ancient Philistines. That name came from the emperor Hadrian. 
the Roman emperor, who in the second century put down the Bar Kokhva revolt that was taking place there and was so frustrated with these people, these Jews who lived in the land of Judea, that he renamed their homeland to, um, uh, what did he call it? Syrian Palestina. And he not only associated them with the name of their enemies, two of their enemies at least, especially the uh, Philistines, but he also removed the name Judea or Jews from the name of the land to disassociate them from it. So it's meant to be a derogatory thing. It's worth noting that the Palestinian struggle, as some call it, is really not a struggle over an ethnic group or a distinct nation. They don't even have a distinct language. In fact, they're ethnically uh, Arab, religiously typically Muslim or Druze, and uh, there's no historic claim to the land that predates God's promise to Abraham. I think this is just kind of helpful as we're considering the modern day situation. So enough of geography, back to the text. Do you remember when we were in Exodus 3 and Moses asked a great question at the burning bush? He says, well, who am I? And in, uh, in verse 12 of chapter 3, God said, well, it doesn't matter who you are. The question's not who are you, the question is who am I? And I will be with you. If you look at verse five, something similar happens. He says in verse five, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not forsake you, I will not, uh, I will not uh, fail you, I will not forsake you. God reiterates the promise now to Joshua. Now this is good news for Joshua because uh, there might not be a harder job in your Bible than following Moses. Like, think about that. In the transfiguration in Matthew 17, when Jesus goes up to be transfigured, who are the two characters that appear before him? Elijah and, it's not Joshua, Moses. And so here's Joshua following after the most significant Old Testament figure, arguably, in your entire Bible, and he's gotta take over after him, which is probably why, if you look at verse six, he'll say, be strong and courageous. If you look at verse seven, he'll say, be strong and very courageous. And if you look at verse nine, he'll say again, be strong and courageous. Now, why is it that Joshua needs to be told three times by God to be strong and courageous? He's scared to death. He understands the assignment. He knows what he's being asked to do. And God is telling him, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous because it's not about you. It's about me and I am with you. And in verse six, he's saying, look, I am faithful to my promise. He says, be strong and courageous for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. God's saying, son, you don't understand. I promise these people. And so you're gonna take the land. It's like, it's already decided. So you don't even need to worry about it. Go and take the land. I'm, I've made the promise, it's unconditional. And I'm going to accomplish this. Verse seven, how though is Joshua going to do that? It says only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. So here's Joshua, he's biting his fingernails. He's got a heck of a job before him. He's nervous as can be. God's like, look, here, here's how you do it. If you really want to be a successful leader, um, understand my, my Bible and do what it says. And if you do that, uh, you're going to find success. Um, and so be faithful, in a sense, to your faithful God. Just, just do what I commanded you. Don't take my word and kind of go, yeah, 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 and then do what you want. 
Don't, don't take what I've commanded you and, and twist it a little to the right or twist it a little to the left. Just, just know I, I say what I mean and I mean what I say. And so when I've, when I've revealed my word to you, if you'll just actually do what my Bible says, that's where life is found. If you just do what my Bible says, that's where joy is found. If you'll do what my Bible says, uh, that's, that's where success is found. And well, how critical is the word of God? Well, look at verse eight. He says, this book of the law, this, this law I've given you, uh, should not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you'll wake, make your way prosperous and then you'll find success. Question, what book of the law is he talking about? Who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Moses. Where's Moses? Moses is gone, which means what is in Joshua's possession? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So here's, here's Joshua reading the first five books of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's reading the same things that we're reading. And what God is saying to him is, hey, this book of the law that you've got so far, God's revelation of himself, um, this should not depart from your mouth. This should be something you're talking about all the time. In fact, you should meditate on it day and night. When we say meditate, we're so influenced by the East, we don't understand biblical meditation. When I say meditation, most people think like Buddhist meditation where you, you know, um, and you're emptying yourself. That's not biblical meditation. What we're talking about is this idea of take the word of God and think about it and then put it away. And then it comes back to your mind and you think about it a little different. And it, you put it away and then it, it comes back but a little different. And then you put it away. It's this idea of like a, a cow chewing its cud, which is gross, but that's the concept. You just keep coming up, you chew on it a little bit, and you swallow it, and it comes back up. And in that, you process the word of God differently than, well, I mean, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Moving on. It's like, no, no, what does it mean that God so loved the world? What does it mean that God so loved the world. What does it mean that God so loved the world? Even just emphasis like that, that's kind of meditation where you're bringing it back up. And so he's told to meditate now on the word of God, to reflect on it, to consider it, and then in some ways kind of rinse, repeat. You know, just keep doing, keep doing that. Now, why was that so important? Well, because this is the revealed word of God. And it shows you who God is. It invites you into life with him. It calls you to be faithful to your faithful God. And human flourishing is found in keeping with God's word. I can't stress that enough. Because we live in a culture that, yeah, 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 is the word of God. Well, I know, but it's the Bible. It's written so long ago. Surely it doesn't mean that. I mean, cultures come so far from that. Yeah, and they have lost their minds. And by the way, new is not necessarily better. New just means new. And I would argue there's nothing new under the sun. And so instead of finding new, why don't we find the ancient ways where the good life is? Proverbs 13, 13 says, uh, the one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandments will be rewarded. Notice, by the way, the verse eight has nothing to do with knowledge. It's not just knowledge, it's application. See, knowledge makes arrogant. Uh, it's not just knowing the word of God, it's doing what it says. And James, uh, James talks about that. He says, prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude their, themselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is a funny little contrast. He's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. And once he's looked at himself, he, he's gone away. He immediately forgot what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, 
the law of liberty and abides by it, not being a forgetful hearer, but effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, that's a funny contrast. I've raised a couple daughters, and I could just tell you we're very, very different. The way they look at themselves in the mirror and the way I look at myself in the mirror, vain as you might think I might be, um, it's very different. And, and that his point is this. It's not passing judgment one way or the other. He's just saying, look, if, if you're going to uh, hear the word of God, it's not just hearing. It's do it. Apply it. Don't just glance and then let it go. Do what it says. Well, it's meditating on this word of God that in many ways gives us prosperity and gives us success. Now, I want to make a disclaimer here. It doesn't promise worldly prosperity or success. Godly people are still broke. It does not promise that. that. That's not the point. In fact, what it does, though, say is that true success is found in keeping with God's word. Because I've met a lot of miserable rich people. It's really not about your bank account. It's really not about whether the world thinks you're successful. It's about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things are added to you as well. It's about recognizing that uh, the abundant life is found in Christ. It's Proverbs 16, 20 that says, he who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. So back to Joshua in verse 9. It's not just about Joshua. It's the fact that God will be with him. If you look at verse 9, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That word uh, tremble and that word dismayed are are pretty interesting words. The word tremble uh, can be translated dread or terror or awe. It has the idea of foundations shaking, like you're having an internal earthquake, maybe like a modern-day panic attack. If you've ever had one of those where all of a sudden you're just like, "Uh uh-oh, body's freaking out, you're starting to sweat, you're hyperventilating a little bit. Um, That's what it kind of means. Dismayed has the idea of of terrified or literally to break, uh, to crack. It's the idea of like the shattering of glass into a thousand pieces. So what he's saying to Joshua is, look, don't, don't, don't be in dread, terror, or awe. Don't, don't crack or break uh, because uh, I am with you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The interesting thing about courage, and you've heard this said before, it's not the absence of fear. Courage is being able to act in the presence of fear. Joshua isn't given a message of be strong and courageous, like pull up your bootstraps and be tougher. That's, that's not life with God. It doesn't say that we shouldn't be tough. It doesn't mean that we've got to be perseverant, you know, in life. What it is saying is your source of courage and your source of strength is not found in you. It's found in God. And so if you want to to be able to act in the presence of fear, it's it's not you, it's God in you, specifically with you. Notice God is with you wherever you go. Well, how how do we learn then to open to God in the midst of fear? How do we learn to open to God in the midst of insecurity? How do we learn to open to God in the midst of terror or or trembling or dismay? And so I just am curious, have have you ever had a moment in your life where um, something like this has happened to you? So like maybe, maybe God is inviting you to take a step of faith, but you have doubt. Uh, Maybe God is inviting you to take a stand for something but you have fear. Maybe God is beginning to uncover some Egypt in your life, some flesh in your life, and you're not sure if you have the strength. 
Maybe God is, um, has allowed tragedy to strike, and you're just wondering if you can go on, or maybe you're dealing with the shrapnel of sin, and you're just wondering if you can recover. If you've ever been in these situations where uh, trembling and dismaying is present in you, it's unsettling, isn't it? It's, it's disorienting. It's like when you were a kid and, and you went to Pismo and, and you were playing in the water and you got hit by a wave and you came up for air and got hit by another and came up for air and got hit by another and then, and then something happened. You started to panic because you're tumbling and tumbling and your head's in the sand and then your feet's in the sand. You're not sure which way's up and you realize in that moment, like I'm in a bad place right now. Some of you parents maybe have seen your kids in that spot. It's It's terrifying. And the question in, in that regard is, how do you find your bearings? How, how do you find your way out? And then by God's grace, you finally saw the bubbles coming up, saw the sun coming through the water, maybe put your feet on the sand finally, and you, and you oriented yourself. And I just want to suggest that in some ways, spiritually speaking, uh, life can be like that sometimes where one thing after another, a wave of doubt or of fear or of weakness or of despair and it's just disorienting. And you're just not sure which way to turn. You're not sure where to find hope. You're not sure how to, to manage that. And it's easy in those moments to lose hope. And the only way we can find our way through those moments is to do it like Joshua did, and that is to find God in those moments. And we find him in his word. The fight begins for us. The courage is found for us. The Um, strength is found in us in his word. And so I just want to encourage you with a couple of things as it relates to the Bible. You know, this Bible is very unique. We've talked about this in messages past. 40 different authors written over a 1,500-year period of time, written in three different languages um, from three different continents, and and yet one central theme. It it is not a normal book, simply put. This This is not like a Jane Austen novel, okay, this is brilliant as that might be, this is next level. A library, really, of 66 different books that God has given, not just that we would know it, but that we would know him. And so a couple things as it relates to the word that you might implement in your life. One is to read the Bible. Now, for some of you, you're like, really? I've been reading the Bible for decades. Well, yeah, but some people are not in that place. And why is it important to read the Bible? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you have a story like mine. I came to faith late in college. I had no idea getting drunk was a sin. I had no idea sexual immorality was a sin. Well, I had an idea, but I I didn't know why. And then I read my Bible, and I was like, oh. So I guess I should clean up my language and get sober and keep my zipper up, and, and there's a better way to do life. And praise God, I can just tell you there is. But if you don't read your Bible, you never know, okay? Second is to meditate on the Bible. What Joshua did is actually a practice I would encourage every one of us to do, to meditate on our Bible. What does that mean? Take a verse, put it, put it in your mind, and think about it. And then think about it later. And then think about it later. Uh, Psalm chapter one speaks of the person who meditates on the word, and it says they delight in the Lord. They're like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of living water. Who, uh, whose leaf never withered and who bears fruit in season. Well, if you want to be that kind of person, it comes from just spending time meditating on your Bible. It means we memorize our Bible. Why? Because it's inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So 
I don't, I don't know that Tom Brady's you know, career stats are as important as the word of God, and yet there's a lot of people who know those. And so what would it look like to memorize the word of God? Why? Psalm 119.11 says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. To memorize the scriptures. It means we might study the Bible and actually put a little effort into it. Buy you a Bible dictionary and get you a Bible atlas or Google one. Okay, welcome to the technology. You can just Google it. Uh, Because, you know, honestly, as you're reading the Bible, you might go, okay, well, like in this text, it talked about the wilderness to Lebanon. Where's that? Well, just look it up. Study it a little bit. Dig a little bit. Doesn't mean you need to be a scholar. You don't need to know necessarily Greek or Hebrew. But there's something to be said about mining for the gold because God is with you in this process as you study your Bible. It means you might just discuss it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about teaching the word to your sons and talking about it when you sit down in the house and when you walk about the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, which is the Bible's way of saying all the time. We're just talking about the Bible. Hey, I was reading this today. Hey, I was thinking about this. And by the way, that's, that's why we do life groups here at the well. So you get together, you talk to people about it. So what could a next step be for you, gleaning from Joshua here, who allowed the word of God to be the place, not just where he learned about God, but where he met with God? And I would just say this, what what if you took those issues of reading and meditating and memorizing and studying and discussing and just, just threw some of these onto your calendar? Like what if tomorrow morning you woke up and you spent 10 minutes in your Bible and you just read a psalm and you just said, Lord, I don't, I'm here. And I just read this, and it's good to be with you. Ten minutes. Drink your coffee, out the door. Those kind of deposits over and over and over, they begin to change the narrative in your life. Now you're no longer shaped and formed by this world, but by his word, all right? Uh, To uh, meditate or memorize the word of God. Some years ago, I started a process where, think of it this way, take like a word doc or whatever doc of your choice, okay, and just put daily and just like a bold little like title, daily, and then underneath that put weekly, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then monthly, and one to 31. And I'll take a verse, and I put it in daily, and I try to memorize it, and if I get it word perfect every day, then I move it to the day of the week. And if once a week I can quote it word perfectly, and I put another one in the daily, and if that one's word perfect once a week, then I put it monthly. If I can quote that one once a month word perfect, I put it into a title called lockdown means I own it now. And so I'm constantly going through three verses a day. The one for the day, the one for the day of the week, and the one for the date of the month. And so I'm constantly doing that. What it's done for me is allowed me to memorize scripture, but also to meditate on the word. Because I've memorized all of these scriptures, I could be driving in the car and it comes to mind and I'm in. Yeah, all right, Lord, let's talk about Psalm 130. I'd love it. Let's talk about that. Okay, I, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. In his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. I'm meditating on the word because I'm memorizing it. And here's what else I know. The psalmist asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's a great question. Answer, by keeping it according to your word. And I just figured early on, this is, just, this is simpleton defensive lineman Brad Bell, okay? I just said, look, if Jesus when tempted quoted his Bible, how much more do I need my Bible? If that was his weapon, then boy, I better take the word of God and and memorize it. All right, so what if you did something like that? You didn't have to do my system. How about you just pick a verse and you say, I'm gonna memorize that one. Great, 
Start there and see what the Lord does. And then finally, I would say, take a moment to study. We've got a biblical studies residency program here. You'll get seminary level teaching for free. Like it is fantastic. Well, I think we actually charge just a little to make sure you have skin in the game. But it's affordable. Come and be a part of it. Let us train you and teach you. And then finally, as I mentioned, discussing, we, we do life groups. Even tonight, we're going to open up open life groups that are going to then, for the next 45 minutes or so, talk about what we just shared tonight, what you just heard. Everybody's an expert in what they just heard, whether you agree or disagree, by the way. And just talk about it. Well, what was that verse he mentioned here? And, oh, I wrote that down. Or, hey, this kind of struck me. And that's an interesting idea. Let's talk about that or whatever. And just talk about the Word of God. Why? Because he's waiting to meet you there. So in John chapter 5, when Jesus says to the religious leaders that they search the scriptures because they think in them they'll find eternal life, Jesus just said, well, it's the scriptures that speak of me. See, it's not about the Bible. The Bible's not the magic. It's the God of the Bible that you meet in the magic. That's where the gold is, is to meet with him. So why, why would we even talk about this? Because the same advice given to Joshua is the same advice we're trying to give to you, to be strong and courageous and find God in his word. And as you find him in his word, you find what life is really meant to be about. And you'll see that God was faithful to Abraham and he was faithful to Moses and he was faithful to Joshua and he's gonna be faithful to you. Why? Because that's who he is. He is a faithful God who will meet you in the turbulence of your life. And as you're spinning around trying to find which way's up, you'll find God. And when you find the Lord, everything just kind of comes into place. Doesn't mean it's all awesome, but at least you know, at least my God is with me. At least my God is with me. Psalm 130 verses five and six says this. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I trust. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Amen? Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for your word and even just a simple reminder to Joshua who was scared out of his mind to be the leader of your people, knowing the history, seeing firsthand, having been one of the spies sent in and for 40 years watching the older generation die. And Lord, you gave him this mantle of leadership and he was terrified and yet you just invited him into the richness of your word that this book of the law would not depart from his mouth but he would indeed meditate on it day and night so that he would be careful to do according to all that's written in it for then he would make his way prosperous and then he would find success. Lord, as a culture, we are looking for prosperity and success in all the wrong places. And so, Lord, as we meet in your word, begin to read, meditate, and memorize, and study and discuss, could we not simply fall in love with the words or the chapters or verses or even the concepts, but, Lord, may we find you there that you might be with us as you were with Abraham and with Moses and with Joshua, that you would be with us because father we got our own issues we got our own giants in the land we've got our own things that we tremble in fear and are dismayed over and so god we just need you to meet us in whatever awful we're experiencing because this word is this world is full of it so thank you for your grace and that you meet us 
in your word. Could we be a people of the book, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.